She would rather lick you. Like, you know, some dogs, you pet them. She would rather lick you than, and it's just, you're just like, okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> it's like Stockholm and Syndrome. She, she's like, like, she's like literally like, her tongue's like this. It's like, I mean, it, it's like bigger than my hand. It's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the sixth time Justin is dry heaved trying to record the debrief. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I am Justin Pardee, the son of thunder. <laughs> I'm Stephanie Keen, the uh, queen of judgment. I'm just calling you Barnabas. Whoa. <laughs> and over here, we've got Pastor Matt Brown. And I'm the Prince of Grace. Oh, <laughs> you know what? Those are so accurate. You put you put yourself up pretty high, pretty high. Yeah, yeah. That is I'm great. also the king of humility. Oh, yes, absolutely. Exactly. Well, hey, if you were just joining us for the first time, this is a weekly podcast where we do answering your questions about God, the Bible, and the sermons happening here at Sandals Church on the weekends. And uh, we love getting your questions every single week. We sure do. So if you would like to send in questions as you're going through this or you're going through the book of Acts this year, uh, you can send those in at sandalschurch.com slash the debrief, or you can check us out on Facebook at The Debrief Podcast, and you can submit questions there too. And the only thing that we like more than you guys submitting questions is when you send in awesome five-star reviews to the iTunes store. It's super helpful because that helps people discover our podcast, and it helps us end up in the charts and all those kinds of other things. And we've got two great more reviews I want to share with you before we jump into some Q&A time today. This first one is from Two Turtles 5 Two turtles, oh five. Yeah. Two turtles. That's, I love it. I wonder if you got two turtles in yeah. five. Turtles are one of my favorite animal. Ex- really? Yeah. Why? I think they're cool. I don't know. I liked them in uh, Finding Nemo. Crash. Oh. <laughs> crush, crush. I think they're crush, not crush. crash. Yeah. Uh, I, I like that. This is the first animal that I think that we found Pastor Matt likes so far. In this yeah. I really like turtles, especially in Hawaii. In the water, I feel like sea turtles. You don't like land ones. No, land ones are gross, disgusting. I've heard, uh, I've heard turtles can attack geese and and ward them off. (gasps) By the way, my grandma growing up, she had a turtle named Bluebell or something like that in her backyard, but it was all like you know grandma plants and stuff. So she hot glued a big giant blue birthday ribbon bow on the back of this turtle. So you'd always just see this little blue ribbon going through the ivy. Anyways, two turtles. Oh five. After listening to your explanation of how the Holy Spirit works on us, it's like getting punched. I pray I never get tired of this kind of workout. So I think Two Turtles 05 likes it when you hmm. spiritually yeah. um, punch. Assault them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Him or her. And uh, we got one more from the Todd Jones. I highly recommend that everyone who has ears listen to this podcast. I think that's a pretty good qualifier. Yeah. yeah. What about people without ears? Sorry. Yep. We'll work on some transcriptions maybe yeah. in the future. Once again, queen of judgment. Yeah, As see, we continue wow, just to came sell, right out there. sell some debrief t-shirts and then we can add transcription services to this weekly podcast. And then you too can be reading mm-hmm. these very strange words we have all yeah. been uttering. And then you'll know about the moment that we made a point to let you read. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Well, hey, we're going to do some questions. We got some good follow-up and then we'll be jumping into Acts chapter five. But before we do that, Pastor Matt, you said you wanted to hit us with a word of wisdom. So ladies and gentlemen, the Prince of Grace. Yeah, so one of the things that I'm seeing consistently, uh, especially amongst young people, well, not just young people, amongst all people, is this growing intolerance of, of dis- disagreeing or views which, with which you disagree. And so, okay. you know, so you know, I just got some feedback this week. You know, we we had a message a couple weeks ago on race and um, you know the church's call and stuff. And so I thought that I'd get a lot of criticism for that, but I actually got some criticism from a person who was not happy with what I said about media, which I still stand behind my comments about media. I think that. They have a huge responsibility 
in you know inflaming what's going on um, between people and constantly reporting bad news. And there's an inherent contradiction between their role to report news and their need to report bad news because we only watch when there's bad news. And literally, the person just said, "Yeah, I'm out. I'm not going to be listening anymore." And it's just it's just so unfortunate that we. Uh, I mean, people are entitled to their opinions. You're entitled to sure. you know like what I say, not what I like what I say. And then the reality is I don't like everything that I say, but what we need to do to come to true knowledge and wisdom is we have to push through things that we don't necessarily agree with. And that doesn't mean that ultimately you're going to come to see it my way, but what you need to do is you need to learn to wrestle and sit in uh, and under some things that maybe you don't, that initially grab you in a negative light. And so don't give up on the debrief if there's one thing that's said. So you listen to 20 episodes and there's one thing like, now I don't like what Matt said about, you know, this issue or that issue or whatever. And so you check out. And so what I would just encourage you is if your views are that fragile that you, you can't stick around um, for a little pushing, then are they really, are they really your views? And so mm-hmm. I just want to encourage people to hang in there and um, you, you know, you're never going to like a hundred percent of what I say. And I don't like a hundred percent of what I say, mm-hmm. but we got to figure out how to, you know, try to wrestle through what we really believe. And the only way to do that is by embracing people who challenge us on some areas that maybe we don't like. So hang in there. Love you guys. Appreciate your faithfulness. Don't give up. Uh, and just be prepared for people that are like, oh, I listened one time. I didn't like 15 seconds, so I'm never going to try it again. So, Yeah. And I would definitely say too, like for folks who are wrestling with what they're hearing here, like what's great about the debrief is that you can send in your questions. You can send those. To yeah, us. absolutely. Like, Feel free. We would lo- like we would love to wrestle alongside you. And that's not weird. We would love to work through those issues with you though, and ask those questions and get those in front of you, Pastor Matt. So that, you know, yeah, I think Justin will do the wrestling. Yeah. Not you. Yeah. Words of wisdom from Pastor Matt, Matt Brown. Wow, <laughs> that's good. I hope you guys I, all enjoyed the beginning a, of that's a, a weird jingle that we have. And now. that is why I am not on the worship team. <laughs> right. Nope. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. Let's jump right into follow up. <laughs> what do you What do you guys think about that? We got one great follow up question from Matt. Whoa. We don't did know. you send it in? We don't no, know. No, I did not. There's so many mats in our church. This one is pretty awesome. You should just take credit for it, okay, man? Most people, if you ask them what superpower they would want to have, would say flight. So, in Acts chapter 1, why does it seem like people aren't that amazed when Jesus basically flies up into the sky? That's a great question. Um, I don't know that he flew. I would say hovered, <laughs> lifted, ascended. Still pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah. yeah, no, it's incredible. Um, and, and God clearly has abilities to do things that, um, you know, we don't yet know. But what's amazing is he did it in a human body. That's what's incredible. That's why I'm looking forward to the resurrected body, which will be glorious. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah, move over, fabulous. Here comes Matt Brown. <laughs> glorious. All right. Okay, oh, Lara, thank you for that question, Matt. And um, let us know what kind of superpowers you want if it's not flying. Hey, uh, let's get into Acts chapter 5. And Stephanie, you're going to start us off with a real doozy you discovered yourself. I did. So in reading the very opening of Acts chapter 5, this is a story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, and so I read this first in the ESV translation, and it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and bought, brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. So when I read this in ESV, like that didn't seem like necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. He sold some property. He gave a chunk of the money to the church. Um, but then later on, Peter basically rips them apart, and yeah. they actually end up getting killed. Um, because it said that they were lying and only giving part of the money. So when I read this in NLT, it says, but there's a certain man named Ananias who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. 
Um, so this clearly says that he lied to them. And those are two same chunks of scripture, but in different translations. So right. how, what happened there? Right. So the ESV is a word for word translation. So it's more, more literal to the text in the NLT. And the reason that I like the NLT is because it's thought for thought. And so it's giving you the idea of what's going on um, so that you can immediately understand. Whereas in the ESV, you have to read down to discover why Peter was so offended. Whereas in the NLT, it gives you the thought in the context of the verse where you first encounter it. And so, you know, NLT is trying to do more interpretive work for you. Some people like that, like me, because I think it helps people that are coming uh, to Christ or don't know Christ. It explains it very, very clearly. Other churches like the word for word because it's more literal to the original text. And so um, I use both translations in my life. I use the ESV for my personal study, but oftentimes the ESV will um, be difficult to understand. And so I'll go to the NLT and then look at the Greek and try to figure out, okay, how, how did they come to this? But, um, you know, I think that there are some differences, but like I said, the ESV later is going to tell you what specifically happened, where the NLT chooses to interject that idea uh, in the pre, in the in the earlier thought, and so that's why. And so the idea um, is accurate in both translations. These guys intentionally are lying to the church about the percent of money that they are giving, and so that's what's happening there. Got it. So as you listen to us uh, read scriptures here on the debrief, or you hear them here or read them in stuff coming out of Sandals Church, usually, unless otherwise designated, we are using the New Living Translation for all the reasons Pastor Matt just talked about. Now, I have a question that I think is perhaps more important than (laughs) Stephanie's question here, which is, can the Apostle Peter read people's minds? Because he somehow knew that Ananias and Sapphira were lying. Or is he like all up on Zillow? No, <laughs> no, that was good. They didn't have Zillow back then, but thank you, Stephanie. That was good. Uh, that's spoken from someone who's looking to buy a house. Um, uh, so no, he cannot read minds. This is the power of the Holy Spirit uh, who knows all truth and the Holy Spirit. So what we're learning about the Holy Spirit is who is he? And so for for example, Jehovah Witnesses don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person. They, they think of it like as the energy of God. It's a depersonalized power of God. We don't believe that the Bible teaches that. We believe that the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is the third person of God. Uh, there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. You know, I realize it's confusing. Welcome to God. However, um, he is a person and he has knowledge, power, and abilities, just like God the Father, just like God the Son, and he is God the Spirit. And he is... Uh, the presence of God that is currently with us in this age. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is at the right hand of God. The Spirit is with us now. And it is the Holy Spirit who is speaking through Peter that informs Peter of this. This isn't his giftedness. So we have to go back to um, the healing of the crippled man. He says, why do you stare at us as though we did this? Mm -hmm. So the same thing is happening. This is not Peter's exceptional knowledge. This is the Holy Spirit's excuse me, exceptional knowledge speaking through him. It's not that Peter isn't wise. It's not that Peter isn't um, uh, intelligent. It's that this is clearly a supernatural power that has come from God through Peter. And so what you're going to hear as we read the text is that this is actually a sin against the Holy Spirit. And it's going to tell us that you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And so we're getting to understand exactly who the Holy Spirit is. And there's going to be more clarity here than Jesus offered in the New Testament. So Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as a helper, as someone who's going to come alongside us and encourage us. But in the book of Acts, we're finding out, oh, the Holy Spirit is actually God's presence manifested on earth through spirit with us now. And that's what's happening. And the Holy Spirit is every bit as personal as Jesus is, every bit as personal as God the Father is. And so um, that's what's happening here. So, and that's just like, 
you know, when you're hearing me speak or someone sing, when you're being moved, when something's supernatural, uh, if you're not a Christian, the word we would use is paranormal. And I think that's a word that we need to embrace as Christians because that's a word to describe something that is not normal. Mm -hmm. It's paranormal. It's other than. And uh, that's a great place to start with people who are not of faith. So this is a paranormal gift. This is something that is happening outside of the normal reality and natural scope of human abilities. It's not a natural thing to be able to read minds. It's not a natural thing. And so that's why as Christians, we don't go to mind readers because they're not doing it through the power of God. Most of them are fake. It's a joke, Mm -hmm. but some of them have real power there and it is demonic power. And the Bible says, stay away from it. Don't go there. So Peter has a supernatural gift of God and he knows what these two individuals are doing. And remember, this comes right on the heels of what Barnabas did. Barnabas sold the property, gave the full amount to the church. And so this is a pseudo gift. It's almost like, but it's not quite quite like. And we have to be careful of that in the church because there are people who operate with kind of pseudo generosity, pseudo giftedness, Mm. pseudo knowledge. And we need to be able to discern that what's happening here. And so these people are lying about what's taking place. They're not being authentic. And, you know, like I said in the message uh, this weekend, God cares deeply about authenticity. It matters to him. Why is Sandal's vision to be real? Because it's God's vision to be real. Mm -hmm. Don't lie. God hates lying. He loves the truth. God only speaks the truth. So So Peter basically calls out Ananias on this. And then verse five says, as soon as Ananias heard these words, he fell to the floor and died. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. So we talked about this a little bit on the weekend, but Here's the reality. God killing Ananias seems pretty harsh. Why'd he do that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it shows, you know, God's, you know, a couple things here. The seriousness with which God takes the church, the seriousness with which God takes authenticity, and and the seriousness of sin. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us think that, oh, my sin's not that bad. And what these guys really didn't do is that bad. Look, you, when you're dealing with God, everything is bad. The seriousness of your sin doesn't just have to deal with you. It has to deal with God. So like, for example, um, if I slap you, like right now, as hard as hard as I can, what are the consequences for that sin? It would be a sin. You have not, you don't deserve that. The Bible says I shouldn't do it, but I just, I just go up and, and absolutely slap you. Mm-hmm. What, what is the response to that? What, what do you think would happen? From me? Yeah. Well, I would hope the HR would send some disciplinary notices in your direction. But, but the reality is you probably would deep, be deeply offended. You okay, but what, what happens if I go up and slap Stephanie? I mean, I just oh. clock her in the face, just like, boom, what happens? Right, now that's a big problem. What? Why? What's the difference? I did the same action. Power, authority, lady here. What, what, what makes the sin difference is who it's committed against. Yeah. And so we all recognize this, right? To hit a man is one thing, to hit a woman is another thing. Now let's say I go up and I slap a police officer in the face. Okay. I, I just go up and cold cock him. Yeah. My life is in danger, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. It is difference. When you sin against authority, even when you sin against sexes, right? It's different. It's it's one thing to slap a man. It's another thing to slap a woman. Yeah. What's happening here, and Got this it. is what people need to realize is the, 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 the depth of your sin is determined by who it's committed against. Ananias and Sapphira have committed what we would consider a minor sin, right? If somebody... Somebody told me, hey, I'm selling my property for a million dollars and I'm giving you the full amount, but they only give me 900 grand. How offended am I going to be? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Okay, they lied. That's on them. But now when it's against God, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with God. And here's one of the great problems of the New Testament is, right? God's all about love. God's all about mercy. God's all about grace. He is still God. And what he's saying here is, 
I'm still the same today, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever. Don't mess with me. Don't lie to me. Church is not a game. It's not a joke. And a lot of people treat it lightly. And that's why, you know, when I hear about these pastors screwing around, doing all this stuff, I just think clearly they don't, they don't get God and they don't get what the church is. And uh, the church is the bride of Christ. He takes the bride very seriously in the same way that a husband should take his wife very seriously. God is going to respect and defend his church. And Anais and Sapphira take lightly I mean, I think there's a couple of things here. Number one, they're testing, which they say, right? They're testing the knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And God's like, don't do that. Hmm. And number two, you know, they're lying about their generosity. So the whole church is giving, the whole church, there's this, there's like this magical moment, right? In church history where everybody's generous. And then you have these people that like, I mean, it's tragedy because they could have just said, hey, we sold a property, we gave 50%. Or we sold a property and we gave 75% but they don't do that. And ultimately what happens is they lose their lives for it. So mm-hmm. it's really, really unfortunate. And so I, I would just say this, you know, that people come up to me all the time at church and say, oh, I tithe. And, you know, we've had this a couple of times when we want to put somebody on the board and they told them, oh yeah, I'm absolutely tither. Then we check their finances because we do. Before we put a person in leadership at Sandals Church, we check to make sure. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to put you in the boat helping me steer if you're not contributing to the boat rowing. Right. And I find out time and time again, um, they're, they're not doing it. And so that is tragic and that is dangerous. Look, here's what tithing is. Tithing is giving you know 10% of your income. Don't tell people you're a tither if you're not doing that. Tell people you're a giver, use precise language. There's no shame in that. If you are under the theological conviction that you are simply to give to the church, then own it. Don't use language that's not accurate. Tithing means 10th. Are you giving a 10th? You know, do you believe in that? So just, just own it, be authentic, okay? The, here's the reality. Most people in our church are not tithers. Mm-hmm. The vast the vast majority of our people who tell you they tithe, they're not tithers. Mm-hmm. Our church lives off the faithful support of about 25% of the people who attend. Now, some of that's okay, right? Because many of the people that come on the weekends are not Christians. They're visitors. Yeah. I don't expect you when you come over to my house for dinner, I'd be like, hey, the light bill is a little, little steep this month. Can you uh, <laughs> throw a check in there? I, I don't expect visitors to my house to, to pay the light bill or, or even pay for the meal that's provided. But- I, as an owner of the house, I'm expected to pay the rent and take care of it. So too, you know, if this is your church family, you're an owner, right? You're a part of this family. You need to do that. And so just again, be very, very careful in your language. It's real easy to exaggerate. It's real easy to lie. And we say things like, well, that's a white lie. Speak as truthfully as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And just tell people, well, we're not tithers, but we do give, we do give regularly. And just use that language. Yeah. And so that's what Peter's saying here is, look, the money's yours. Do with it what you want, but don't say you're doing A when in reality you're doing B. Mm-hmm. Those are not the same things. And for those of you who are listening, God cares. God cares about transparency with actually doing what you're saying you're doing. You gotta make sure you do it. And uh, and this is what's so tragic. A lot of times, you know, you have these celebrities that'll, you know, you'll have a tragedy. Uh, maybe it's a hurricane or a tsunami and these celebrities will tweet I'm going to give X amount of dollars. You know, they've done research on that and a lot of them never give it. Mm-hmm. Not a lot. That's, that's an exaggeration. So There's a substantial amount of celebrities who get all the promotion, get all the fame, you know, they're there for it and they never actually give the money. And that's actually why, you know, um, Donald Trump came under so much criticism when he had that rally, when he was going to give $6 million to yeah. um, uh, our military. Definitely. And he actually did give most of that money and, and, and I think he's on track to do that. But, um, it was a couple of months and people were like, hey, and he was really offended by that. 
which I think he had a right to be offended because he was trying to do a good thing. But the reality is the press knows that a lot of people say they're going to donate all this money and they don't. Because mm-hmm. uh, one thing to tweet it, it's another thing to actually do it. And so that's what Anais and Sapphire are doing here. They're tweeting, hey, just gave all the money. And God's like, uh, no, you didn't. You know, Twitter from Holy Spirit, no, you didn't. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I would say this, I, you know, I think we say, well, God kills them. Look, people kill people, people murder people. God doesn't kill, God takes you home. He gave you your life. Your life is not your own. He owns you. You are, a, you are his creation. He has total authority over your life. And if you're a believer, which it looks like Anais and Sophia, uh, you know, may have been, he has authority over their life. Yeah, that was my question, actually. Like, they, Anais and Sophia clearly conspired together. Like, Peter calls them out on that, actually. It says, like, why would you even think of doing this? So were they actually saved? Were they believers? Were yeah, so, so the answer is, I don't know. Hmm. Well, what I can tell you is that, um, so here Satan says, why has the Holy, or excuse me, why has Satan filled your heart? It's the same language that is used to describe what happens to Judas. Judas. The difference here is in Acts 1, Acts 1 tells us that Judas went to hell. He went to the place of which he chose. We don't get that kind of language here. So, um, you know, God, God can kill you and still save your soul. Hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, so, you know, if these people are saved, I think they're still saved, but they still fell under judgment. I mean, God, and why is God doing this? Not just for the sake of Ananias and Sapphira, but for the sake of the church. Because right now everything's kumbaya, it's summer camp, right? It's been summer camp up to this point. And God's like, look, this is serious business here. And ultimately, you know, what you need to fear, remember what, what did Peter and John say? Who should we be more afraid of, you or God? Well, we should be more afraid of God. Yeah. That, and that's what Jesus says, don't fear the people that can kill your body, feel the one who can kill your soul as well. And I think God is just reminding the church. And a lot of people have a problem with this text and what I would say this is because they don't have a problem with the text. They have a problem in their theology of God. So many people think God's their buddy. We see ourselves as equals with God and we are just not. We are not even close. You know, an ant is more equal to us than we are to God, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and people spray to kill ants all the time. Now I realize yeah. there's some Buddhists out there that would be offended with that, but most people kill ants and spray ants when they're in their house and don't think anything of it. You are further away from God in terms of your beauty, glory, and honor than an ant is from us, right? right? There's a substantial difference in your being, in who you are. Um, and, uh, and I think this is just an important reminder that God is to be worshiped and revered and don't mess with God. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, they love God and they can fall into sin. People who fear God, I think do better. So love God, but you also have to fear him and respect him. So the narrative shifts here, and there's this whole next section that's talking about signs and wonders and the cool things the apostles are doing uh, in the Holy Spirit. Verses 12 to 13 say, The apostles were performing many miracles, signs, and wonders among the people, and all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade, but no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. So what's going on here with nobody else daring to join the apostles? A um, couple of questions, like, who, who is it that's not joining them? And then like, like are, are, they, they, are they doing church right if no one wants to come right. be a part of so, it? So the problem here is in the Greek text and, and how do we translate it? So the first sentence is very, very specific. So everybody has this sense of awe, but the next sentence in the Greek is very, very vague. And so we don't really know. It's, it's just a really, really difficult verse to, to translate. You know, who is it that doesn't want to approach them? Um, 
And so there's a couple problems with the text. Is it the people that don't want to approach the apostles or uh-huh. is it non-believers that don't want to approach the church? Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think the best way to be translated is it's, it's people are a little intimidated by the apostles because they have exerted such power. But people, it says, are continually growing, c- continually coming to Christ. And so I think that's the best way to interpret that text. But it is um, grammatically, you know, we can't sit down with Luke and say, what did you mean here? So we right. have to try to guess as best we can based upon what he said. And so the text is just somewhat ambiguous as to who as to who is here. And so I think the best way to translate it is the, is the way that most texts translate it, which is people are a little, a little leery about the, the apostles because they exert such power. And it goes on to say that they start, start just trying to connect with their shadows rather than approach them directly. Okay, yeah. So that's what I was going to say. This next section, Peter can't read people's minds, but he does appear to have some other cool powers. Yeah, because it says, as a result of the apostles' work, six people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Yeah. So that actually, like, Peter's shadow actually healed people? Yeah, it's it's incredible. And so mm-hmm. what it means is, you know, so in the ancient world, the shadow was thought to have had um, supernatural power. So think okay. about, you know, our fairy tale, Peter Pan, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? So there's, I'm sure that there's some working there. Oh. So Peter Pan's shower, uh, uh, shadow has power. His shadow is a little evil, right? A little yeah. independent. It's a little like, yeah. A little independent and whatever. But that's that whole idea like that, a toddler. that um, you know, there was like this mystic idea that, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, shadows were almost like, ooh, you don't want to do that. And now okay. they're intentionally doing it because in the ancient world, the shadow was considered to be a part of your person. Okay. And so the idea is, is that as Peter walks by, his presence is manifesting healing, which is actually, you know, Jesus said, you will do greater things than me. Jesus didn't do anything like that. He yeah. touched people, he healed people, he prayed over people. Now there's something extraordinary happening in the life of Peter that we didn't see in the life of Jesus. Hmm. So the Holy Spirit is manifesting and exuding great power. Um, and again, how did Judaism get split down the middle with Christianity? Because people saw these signs, these wonders, and they were like, oh my gosh, this has to be the way. Hmm. Has to be the way. And so there's this complete flip-flop with the majority, not the majority, but with many of um, the Palestinian Jews. Okay, so uh, we get this really cool moment, verses 17 through 20. The high priest has once again arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So several weeks ago, you talked to us about looking for opportunities to share about Jesus. In order to do that, one of the things we need to know is know what to share about Jesus. And this whole story with the angel and what he tells them feels kind of like pretty good metaphor and direction for knowing what to share about Jesus. Yeah, well, he says share the full message, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this says give the, the NLT says go to the temple and give the people this message of life. Yeah, I think it's I think that the Greek says the full the full gospel. So okay. what he's saying is tell them everything about me. Don't hold back in any way, shape, or form but be bold. And what's ironic here, and this is just God's sense of humor, Sadducees don't believe in angels. Okay. And God uses an angel to free them. Got it. And, and it's just so interesting. And, and, and for, you know, maybe there's a person out there that's listening to this. I mean, the primary purpose of the debrief is for Christians. We're trying to take you to a deeper level of understanding, but I'm going to guess from time to time there's a non-Christian. Sure. And so many times non-Christians are hung up in faith because they come with the preconceived notion that things can't happen. And so I want you to notice here in the text that the Pharisees don't believe in angels. Therefore, they never understand how this person was set free. 
So despite all the clues and the evidence around them, because angels don't exist in their mind, he couldn't have possibly been freed. And they never bring it up again. They never even ask, how did you guys get out? Right. They have to deal with the reality that they escaped. The, the, the gates are still locked. The guards are awake. They don't know what to do. Yeah. And, it's, and it's, so, it's so sad that so many people can't come to faith because they won't allow themselves to believe in paranormal things or to believe in things that are supernatural. And so if you have that preconceived notion, how are you ever gonna, ever gonna be saved? And so I just wanna say to the person that's not a believer is you have to open your mind to the possibility that God exists. And if God exists, you have to, you have to be, obviously you have to open your mind to the possibility that he can do things that people can't do, that he has extraordinary abilities right. that people don't have. And so I think once you open yourself up to that possibility, God can work in your heart and yeah. do a miracle. But yeah, so he's telling them, okay, I realize they've arrested you. I realize they've threatened you, but I want you to go out and I want you to preach even harder, even louder, even with more passion. Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. Cool. Hmm. So this really crazy night continues and in verses 27 to 29, it says they brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them and said, we gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name. He said, instead you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. And you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. So clearly tension is starting to build here between the government and the church and the high priests. What should we be thinking about or learning here when we're also called to you know, live peacefully and obey? Leadership? Yeah, and I, and I think Christians get this verse wrong way more than we get it right. Yeah. And oftentimes, um, you know, Christians, um, you know, will hold to a version, or a version of uh, conservatism rather than to what the scriptures actually teach. Uh, they're more passionate about what America used to be than what the Bible actually says we're to do within the context of America. Hmm. And so you just need to be very, very careful and, you know, what has God asked you to do? Uh, America is not a Christian nation. It's founded, founded under Judeo-Christian principles, but throughout our history, um, you know, there have been, there have been, there's been secularism. Now our, our culture is moving further and further away from a Judeo-Christian understanding. And, um, and that's happening. And so I think what we need to do as Christians is we need to quit doing what many people do is which they say, we need to take our country back. It's not my country, it's our country. And, and, and so um, we need to make sure that we, we want America to be uh, a country where it's free and there's mm-hmm. liberty and people are able to be an idiot, if so to speak, that's what they wanna be as long as they're not hurting anybody else or telling us that we can't worship God the way that we are to worship. Well, I think where we have to draw the line is, is, when, is when and if, and the government's not yet doing this, but if they're telling us what we can teach mm-hmm. and, and how we can express our faith, then as Christians, we 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 have to we have to rally and and figure that out and and Christians have historically struggled with this. What does it look like when governments come, become corrupt? You know, German Christians uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer really struggled with what to do with the rise of Hitler. Initially, he counseled that we should be pacifists. He later came under the conviction that that was wrong and Hitler must be killed because it was more evil to allow him to live than it was to commit the evil of trying to kill him. And so the church did a change there. Christians. Um, and uh, the Revolutionary War were deeply divided. Some Christians felt like they couldn't rebel against King George. Other Christians felt like they were mandated to rebel against you know, um, a leader that would tell them how to worship. And so we have to figure this out. And I just would say, go very, very carefully, get counsel, um, 
find somebody who's not going to agree with you usually and, and pray through that with them, but be very, very careful before you label something that God has called you to do. Christians that are throwing around, God told me to do this, oftentimes are very dangerous people. You know, the way that I lead our church is I will say, I'm praying, uh, I feel like God is leading us to do this. I am very careful to say, you know, God told me, because I think those are, those are, those are, there are very, very few and, and far between when I've heard the words of God and God has said, do this. And so we need to be careful that we're not opened up to spiritual manipulation by leaders who use the name of God to accomplish their own purposes. And oftentimes we can be manipulated by that because what do you do when you say, well, we have to listen to God and God said, well, what if the person that's telling you to do that is saying something ridiculous and stupid and you're like, you know, cause I have no problem dying for God, but I don't want to die for an idiot. <laughs> so we got to be very careful. So what we need to do as Christians is two truths are at work here. We need to submit to authority as much as possible. The problem here is what is authority telling them to do? Stop preaching. And that comes into direct conflict with what Jesus said to do. Jesus said to preach. The Holy Spirit just freed them from prison and said, press on the gas pedal, preach even louder, preach even more. And these guys are saying, hey, we warned you, we threatened you. This is now escalating. And they have to make a choice. And you have to make a choice between doing what God's called you to do versus what the world is telling you to do. And sometimes that means you lose your job. Sometimes it means you lose your friends. In some places of the world, it means you lose your life. And that happens today. People are killed for their faith in Jesus Christ because of their conviction that he's Lord. And the reality is your faith is more precious than your life. Well, man, I just saw on the news last week that this is something that Russia is going through. The, the Christians there, just the, a law got passed where you can no longer talk about Jesus in public. If you want to have a Bible study in your home, you've got to apply for these complicated permits, and you're only allowed to evangelize on official, like, owned church property. So even churches that, like, are portable, like our Sandals Church Woodcrest campus, are mm. being forced to disband. So that's something we can be praying about for our brothers and sisters and the churches that are, that are. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know Putin personally, obviously, but I, I think Russia's lifelong struggle in terms of a people is they just, they have a history of being afraid of free speech. Hmm. And so the problem is, is that churches have gotten lumped into that category of free yeah. speech and Putin can't control faith. And so, um, you know, we need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Russia that they would do the best they can, um, and again, you know, America is not a perfect country, but we have to thank God. We have the freedom to assemble. And I cannot, I cannot indicate enough how that is a freedom that we take for granted. We have the right to gather. Yeah. And in most countries in the world, assemblies are dangerous things and seen as threats to the government. And in our country, it's just something that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we definitely need to lift them up in prayer totally. as they try to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you live under the rule and reign of Putin, uh, who is moving that country further and further from democracy and more and more back to really a czarism? Mm -hmm. I don't know that he's moving them towards communism, but it's kind of like a czar-like state. And unfortunately, the beautiful people of Russia have just such a history of bad leadership. Mm. So, so last episode, you told us we were going to start meeting some more uh, important and crucial characters um, as we continued going on this journey through Acts. And I think we're about to meet one of those here as the... 
I guess like the leaders, the Jewish leaders and the Sadducees and things are kind of debating about what to do with the apostles. Verse 33 says, uh, the high council was furious and decided to kill the apostles. But one member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, who was an expert in religious law and respected by all the people, stood up and ordered that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. And then he spoke to his colleagues. And he basically says... Um, my advice is leave these men alone, let them go. If they're planning on doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it was from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. And, uh, that's pretty much what the rest of the council decides to do. So who's this Gamaliel guy? Yeah, it's significant. Notice that it says that he was from the Pharisee party. So Mm -hmm. the Pharisees were in the minority. Some of them had positions on the council. So the council was made up of 70 members plus one that comes from the book of Numbers where Moses amasses 70 elders and he rules as the leader. That's where we think they got this idea of 70 plus one from. We don't know that because they're all dead. But Is the plus one the high priest? Yeah, so the high priest. So it's 70 plus one. Um, And so what's amazing here is uh, Gamaliel is not, he, 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 he's, he's on the council, but he's not a part of the leadership. He's never going to be a high priest because he's not a Sadducee. Okay. So the Sadducees control the high priest. So it's, it's basically rigged from the inside. Mm. They get to control who ascends. And so you hear a lot about two guys, Caiaphas and, and Annas. Mm-hmm. And so these two guys, I mean, I think, I think uh, Annas was the high priest and he had three or four sons who became high priest and two of his son-in-laws became high priest. So it's like, think of like the Italian mafia, right? That's what this thing is like. And they controlled um, uh, the people of Israel for, for, for years and years and years and years. It's amazing. So these, this is a powerful group. So imagine speaking, having the ability to speak powerfully to the mafia. And that's who Gamaliel is. And so we don't know a lot about him, but the Mishnah, which is um, some Jewish writings about the scripture, they talk about this guy and they say that when he died, really Judaism in its purity died. Hmm. He was that powerful. He was such an amazing leader. He was discipled by a guy named Hillel, um, uh, who was another incredible Jewish teacher. And what's amazing is Hillel discipled Gamil and uh, Gamil, I'm saying his name wrong, Gamaliel discipled a guy by the name of Saul, hmm. who later hmm. became the apostle Paul. Got it. And so this guy's spiritual pedigree and spiritual influence not only is going to keep the disciples momentarily alive, but ultimately will produce our greatest apostle. So he, he probably never converted to Christianity, but ultimately he produced the greatest Christian convert. So all of Paul's training, all of Paul's theology, everything that he knows about the Old Testament comes from this guy. Hmm. So this guy's a major player. So he's in the political minority, but notice... And, and listen to what he says. He says, send him out just for a brief time. So he's fairly confident that he can tell these guys what to do in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. He's that powerful in the community and he's that popular. And so his advice is pretty simple. Hey, if this is, if this is not of God, it's going to be squished. And he gives a couple of examples of people who've spoken and said, you know, I'm a leader for, for yeah. God. And, and they all got killed and slaughtered and, and died in horrific ways at Romans hands. Um, but he says, if this is God, we could find ourselves fighting against God. And so I don't think he, he ever became a Christian, but he definitely is sympathetic to these fellow Jews who believe. And right, I mean, he's a smart guy. He sees things happening that have never happened before. Peter's walking in the streets and people are being healed. So um, 
But the punishment that happens is still pretty nasty. Yeah, and that's what is coming next. So in verses 40 through 42, it says, they called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. This is incredibly inspiring. I mean, these guys just got like brutally beaten and they leave totally rejoicing what what can we take from this? How can we learn? Yeah, this? I mean, it's if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, it's a similar punishment. Um, although they didn't get whipped with a cat of nine tails, they would have been whipped with leather whips made from cowhide. But it was extremely painful, and many times people died simply from this. And mm-hmm. so, the uh, you know the law says uh, the Jewish law says that you can only receive forty lashes. So what the Jews did to err on grace, because right, if you're counting while you're whipping, mm-hmm. you might get off, and they never would want to whip you forty one times. So they, they called it 39. Hmm. So Paul says, twice I received 39 lashes. Um, and so that was kind of the thinking of the day to err on grace rather than harshness. But what would they do? They would whip you on your back twice. So it was two times on the back, one time on your chest, two times on the back, one time on your chest. So they beat both sides of your torso hmm. and literally would shred um, your body. It was awful. It was terrible. And think about poor Mattathias, who wasn't an apostle, but Judas right, bailed, now he is. And, and you need to know that all 12 were whipped this way. Okay. All of them received 39 lashes. And what's amazing is they're not like, God, where are you? And it's, you know, the church today, man, we get, we get a bad stomach ache. We're like, Jesus, where are you? These guys got whipped almost to the point of death and they're celebrating and they're saying, thank you, God, for giving us the courage and the strength. Um, because the apostle John in his letter talks about that once you have experienced the shedding of blood, for sin, you over, have overcome it. Like for John, this was a major milestone in his life because now it's not just about faith in Jesus. For John, he shed blood because of his faith in Jesus and he was able to come out rejoicing. And so, um, you know, that's just, I just wanna encourage people who are struggling with addiction, sin, uh, all kinds of sins. And, and you're just literally, the, the suffering of trying to overcome this sin is so painful. It's like you're shedding blood that when you get over that hump and you can say no to that and you literally feel like you've sweat drops of blood or you've experienced persecution for your faith, there's such a euphoria that takes place of, Mm. oh my gosh, I made it. I said yes to Jesus and no to myself when everything is saying this hurts. Mm. And there's just such a beautiful moment. And so they're rejoicing and there's just this incredible celebration that takes place that most Christians will never get to encounter because they've never experienced uh, persecution. Man, well, this is good stuff. Uh, uh, another really good chapter here. A lot of different pieces happening in Acts chapter 5. We're going to continue on forward. So if you guys have questions from stuff that you've read further ahead in Acts, got questions about some of the stuff Pastor Matt just shared with us, please send those in. You can send them over to uh, seattlesearch.com slash the debrief. There's a big red button on that page. You can hit us up on Facebook if you search for the debrief podcast. And of course, we love it when you share this podcast with your friends, family, members of your community group, coworkers, and leave those five-star reviews on iTunes. We appreciate all that stuff. Um, And because we appreciate you, we want to leave you with one (laughs) last little bit of beauty. It's going to be Pastor Matt's thoughts on Stephanie's inspirational quote. Uh, This week's quote is, the best things in life are free. I love that. Yeah. This podcast is not free. No. So feel free to buy a debrief. I mean, it's free for you. You can download it, but it's not free for us. The best things in life are free, free. but a lot of really cool stuff costs money. Yeah. Mm, There it is. There's the (laughs) Pastor Matt Brown translation of the inspirational (laughs) quote. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, well, there you go. 
soaking that grace. Did you say whoa? There you go. That's like <laughs> yeah. wisdom from Justin. Yeah. Whoa. There you go.